It's October 26, 1981, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was on this day that Under Pressure was released, a song with possibly the most catchy bass line hook in the history of pop. Ollie, Rebecca, you want to give it a crack? Mine was better. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing Ice Ice Baby, actually. No, I think well, OK, we'll get to that. But anyway, so Under Pressure shot straight to number one in the UK and spent weeks in the charts all around the world. But unlike some pop collaborations that are dreamt up in boardrooms or by sort of money people, Under Pressure began due to a relatively chance meeting between Queen and David Bowie in Switzerland. Well, Queen owned the recording studio. <laughs> Queen owned yeah. the, the mountain studios in Switzerland. And there are a couple of reasons that David Bowie was in Switzerland. One is that he was a tax exile, not very rock and roll. <laughs> not very well known about Bowie either, is it? No. If you do enough weird stuff, people won't, won't notice <laughs> you with your taxes. It's got two different eye colours. Two different eye colours. It's distracting. <laughs> Even HMRC can't focus. So he had settled in Vevey, Switzerland, and he was actually recording the title track for the upcoming now mostly forgotten film Cat People and Queen were recording their 10th studio album Hot Space I've got to say neither of those no. projects really outshines Under Pressure Oh totally I, I listened back to Hot Space today to see whether you know Under Pressure really is the banger that saved the album and by God it is I mean, I appreciate Queen's musical diversity, but it's like a very mild, weird disco album, and then it's got Under Pressure on it. Bowie turns up, for whatever reason, probably in some way it had been arranged, but they all start uh, jamming on their instruments, and in fact, Bowie then does some backing vocals for a song called Cool Cat, but in the end, he wasn't very happy with them, so they never ended up being used. He's there for cat people, he's not there for cool cat. Yeah, well, because <laughs> he's got his cat quote you. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to be pigeonholed <laughs> as the cat guy. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point, Queen's drummer, Roger Taylor, says, hang on a minute, we're just doodling around. Why don't we actually write a song of our own? And that's where they started to do some recording. You're making it sound a little bit in a Blyton golly gee guys let's write our own song <laughs> it's probably worth remembering that there was a lot of wine and cocaine involved yeah, in this spontaneous this jam session. That is why I think... <laughs> There's no one definitive version on this because genuinely everybody was wasted and doesn't know. Yeah. Um, but Deacon did dum 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 dum, which is so iconic that like you hear three seconds of it apart from Rebecca's rendition, you know exactly what song it is. <laughs> um, but then they all went to go and get off their face on fondue and blow, and when they came back, they couldn't remember the. The basses, so there was like five different versions. That that was the first bit of tension, apparently. We're trying to remember what the bass line was going to be that was going to drive the whole song. And also it raises the first question mark, which is who remembered the bass line? um, Because Deacon had something, but it may not have been that exactly, because some versions of the story say that Deacon started playing something and Bowie went, actually, no, that's not what you had. It was more like this. Mm. And then he goes... Dum 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 da da dum dum, and it's then that you have the foundations of the song start to be built. And John Deacon was the bassist, and ordinarily, if the question was who came up with the bass line, I'd be inclined to go with the bassist. However, Deacon himself would later credit it to Bowie on at least one occasion. I, I don't know why he didn't want the credit for it, but it just seems like he was really willing to pass that one off onto Bowie. But they're a famously collaborative band queen, weren't they? So like the pub quiz fact everyone knows about Queen is they're the only band ever to have all written, each individual member has written a UK number one single. Hmm. So like they were genuinely really collaborative and quite open to the idea that they all had musical influences, which is why they were doing a disco album and they were a rock band. Like they just did whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah. They? Although it's weird that also in the other direction, Bowie often credits 
gets it back to Deacon and he says, no, actually, it was he who came up with it. So maybe this is a case of just English gentlemen being gentlemen. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously the baseline is crucial in Under Pressure. I'm not saying it isn't. But have you come across Feel Like? I, I read about it, but no. I haven't listened to it. Okay, so now pause this show. Actually, don't. I'll put a link in the episode notes, right? So in the show <laughs> notes for this, there's a link to Roger Taylor's demo for Feel Like, which was a song that they were working on at Mountain Studios in Switzerland as Queen credited to Roger Taylor as composer and it is under pressure it hmm. doesn't have the lyrics Bowie obviously wrote the lyrics right yeah. but it has Freddie improvising stuff over the top which is really kind of like hmm. bland even though he makes it sound amazing because he's Freddie Mercury but it's all just like I want to take you in a truck come and get me bring me inside <laughs> it's nonsense <laughs> but he's doing his thing and it doesn't have the bass line because the bass line hadn't been written yet as we were just discussing but every other element of it is under pressure so mm. in almost none of the versions do any of the people that were there ever say oh yeah and roger had a demo that was by the way exactly obviously evidently the same song <laughs> yes like they'd but, already written the song they just hadn't got to the bit that like unlocked the song yet mm. and brian may has a really compelling account of how they did come up with the lyrics he said that the procedure was that each of us went into the vocal booth consecutively without listening to each other and listening to the track vocalized the first things that came into our heads including any words which came to mind and then he says the next morning David Bowie was in there first and told us he wanted to take the track over because he knew what he wanted it to be about. <laughs> it was unusual for us to relinquish control like that. But really, David was having a genius moment because that is a very telling lyric. Yeah, but also, like, look at the difference between what they came up with. Like yes. Bowie does, it's the terror of knowing what this world is about, watching some good friends screaming, let me out. <laughs> Freddie comes up with, Bidi-da-be! I mean, literally, <laughs> I think you're wise to let Bowie do the lyric. Yeah, and apparently it was Bowie's suggestion that the two singers should work in isolation, but then he broke his own rule. So Reinhold Mack, the producer who did some work on the Hot Space album, later told this story where he said that Mercury had adhered to this rule and gone off and gone, OK, well, I'll write my stuff in isolation. But Bowie had snuck down when Mercury was doing his recording, listened into the session and then responded lyrically to what Freddie Mercury had been singing. And so that's why the final verse in the song is a really nice summary that brings together kind of the themes that both of them were exploring because <laughs> he broke his own rule. But also I think that songwriting process explains a bit about what's unconventional about it as a duet, doesn't it? Because most duets are love songs or the participants take verse, chorus, verse, chorus and then join in at the end, right? But this is... To, I mean, okay, yes, they both, I, I suppose in their public profile, had an ambivalence about their sexuality. So there's that in common. It's maybe not as odd to have those two male voices singing next to each other in 1981 as it might have been than if one of those voices was Barry White. But still, it's not clear when you listen the very first time, like, who is who? Mm. You know, like, they're, and they're both singing. They're not trying to steal each other's limelight. They're just... It's almost like their voices are instruments rather than they're singing a duet with each other. And there's loads of other elements that are just really unusual and unique about Under Pressure as well. One is that the video doesn't feature either artist. Mm. That, that It was actually just a load of stock footage. And apparently it's because Bowie and Queen were both on tour. But it, that feels like a bit of a mm. paltry excuse. Do you know what I mean? It seems like that's an almost inconceivable missed opportunity mm. 
but it adds to this whole vibe that this was a lightning in a bottle moment and that neither artist was particularly interested in promoting this as like a collaboration and they never performed the song together either even at Live Aid where Freddie Mercury and David Bowie were both there even the single it didn't feature any photo of them on the cover or in the notes or anything like that they really did zero promotion of this as a collaboration well you do wonder how much of that was due to a kind of animosity between David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. So Brian May told Mojo magazine in 2017, Freddie and David locked horns without a doubt, but that's when the sparks fly and that's why it turned out so great. Mm. Obviously, Bowie admired Freddie Mercury. He performed at the tribute concert after he died in 1992. In fact, he performed under pressure with Annie Lennox. I mean, that just kind of tells you like, okay, so he admired him, but obviously didn't really get along with him and didn't really... You know, obviously felt some pride in having created this hit single, but also didn't really want to go around singing it with him. I think at the time also Queen had a lot of detractors. So, you know, they kind of were being regarded as being caught up in their own pomp and way over the top. Yeah, they weren't cool, were they? Queen were kind of never cool, which is what's made them always cool. Probably worth at this stage going into the Vanilla Ice controversy. The thing that struck me about this was that the sampling was only eight years after the song itself came out. Ice Ice Baby was in, in my brain as a young person. I thought that the the song that he had drawn from was from, I don't know, like 20, 20 years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. But actually it was yeah. only eight years since that he that had come out. So it makes it even more audacious of Vanilla Ice to claim, as he did, that he'd written something different and it was chance that these things had any sort of parallel. He then did kind of move away from that position and ultimately ended up conceding that he had been inspired first by some aspects of it but he continued to say that he'd tweaked it sufficiently that there shouldn't be a sort of copyright case that makes it interesting that in fact when you search for under pressure on spotify do you know what artist it recommends rebecca it's neither queen nor david bowie nor vanilla ice no go on it's jedwood (laughs) jedwood from 2010 what and they released i'd forgotten about this but jedwood released (laughs) Under Pressure, featuring Vanilla Ice, breaking into Ice Ice Baby halfway through. Oh, wow. Who knew? That is an unholy coming together (laughs) of artists. Much less rock royalty than we had the first time around. Tomorrow. And one admiral even said that they should have let themselves go down rather than be exposed. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors part of the ACAST Creator Network.